Hey everyone, the following episode is from our brand new podcast, The Energy Equation. It's hosted by the incredible physiologist Ollie Patrick and uses state-of-the-art data to understand how people are unlocking the energy they need and how they could be doing so more effectively. If you like what you hear, then you can watch and listen to more episodes over on the High Performance app, available for free right now in the App Store. I think you're going to love this. So let me hand you over to Ollie Patrick and today's guests, the world's strongest brothers, the Stoltman brothers. What Tom's done through his journey to become that, it's not just the physical, it's the mental and the emotional as well. And something you talk about frequently, Tom, which was the diagnosis of autism. I think you've referred to it often as your superpower. It was all just becoming a positive in my life instead of a negative like it used to be. With the gym, I just had a voice in my head saying, don't quit, this, this is something you're good at. So let me show you those results mm-hmm. up close. Jeez. <laughs> Welcome to The Energy Equation, the podcast that takes a deep dive into how we use, manage, and unlock energy. I'm Ollie Patrick, and I'm a physiologist with years of providing healthcare to people at the top of their game. Every episode, I invite a guest onto the show to discuss their lifestyle, but there's a catch. They've been wearing a state-of-the-art health monitor for three days, so there's nowhere to hide. This approach will give you an understanding of how they go about managing their energy levels through busy careers and personal lives, in the hope that you'll learn from their successes and their mistakes. Today, I'm fortunate to be joined by two of the world's strongest men. Not only am I joined by two of the world's strongest men, they happen to be brothers. Tom and Luke Stoltman have been changing the strongman game these last few years, with Tom an already two times world's strongest man before the age of 30. And Luke, his older brother and statesman of the sport, a European strongman champion. These two lead an extraordinary life and I'm keen to understand how that works. What kind of fuel and food does a strongman require, certainly to sustain weight that's close to 200 kilograms? What type of fitness regime does a strongman adhere to and how do they get that balance right between everything's strength but also the need for other forms of fitness? And what is the toll of this lifestyle? Certainly, huge volumes of food, keeping huge muscle mass, traveling the world can't come without some repercussions, if not on performance, then potentially on health. It's a pleasure to discuss all things strongman and beyond with Tom and Luke Stoltman, the Stoltman brothers on The Energy Equation. This episode is sponsored by Fora. Fora believe that the traditional office space is a thing of the past, and so do we. That's why we love working with them. In fact, high performance use Fora offices to base ourselves in. And they're amazing. They've got over 20 years experience helping businesses like ours find their best and most productive home. They've expanded steadily and sustainably to over 60 unique workspaces across London, the UK and Germany. And over 1,800 companies, including ours, have chosen Fora as the place to establish their business. We call it home, and I'm sure you'd love to as well. If you're looking for an inspiring workplace for your business with like-minded businesses of all shapes and sizes where everything is set up for your teams to flourish, then check them out by visiting foraspace.com or search Fora. F-O-R-A. So, Luke and Tom Stoltman, welcome to The Energy Equation. It's an absolute thrill to have you both here. Really nice to be yeah. here. Thank you for, yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah. Interesting. So. I'm, like many people, in, I marvel at, at strong men. And for those people who don't know you, you know, I'm sat here with a two-time 
world champion strongman, world's strongest man, twice. Luke sat next to his brother Tom with Europe's strongest man, five-time Scotland's strongest man, the world's strongest brothers. Well, how would you explain yourselves to the, the person who's not familiar with the world of strongmen? Oh, geez, how do we explain ourselves? Um, yeah, so I guess we're professional athletes. You know, that's what I would say uh, first and foremost. Um, we compete in strongman, which we have to lift very heavy things. Um, we have to be physically very large to do that. You know, mass usually moves mass. So that's why we're sat here pretty big. Um, but then, you know, on top of that, you know, we're brothers. I'm 10 years older than Tom. We get to travel the world competing together, lifting together, we work together, have a business together, um, and we get to come on these podcasts together, which is pretty awesome. So I guess that's kind of us. And we eat lots of food as well. You yeah, we eat lots of food, yeah. I want to talk about food later, because yeah. I can't really imagine how much food is eaten. And clearly people will pick up a, a Scottish lilt, you know, that you are proud Scotsman, proud Scotsman yeah. representing Scotland around the world. Where, where's Strongman biggest in the world? Um... I'd say America right now. I think that's where you do the four major competitions of the year. World Strongest Man, Rogue Invitational, the Arnold Classic and the Shaw Classic. Those are the four titles that every strongman wants. And yeah, London for the kind of fans, USA for the shows. Fab, I think it, it turns up on everyone's agenda. It's New Year's Day, maybe? And I, I actually remember. Yeah, New Year's Day is the final. And I think it's on from the week before New Year's all the way up to New Year's Day. You can watch it. So. It's a, I've been glued. I remember your first title. Tom, actually, yes. which I think came during COVID. COVID, yeah, COVID. So it's just me, myself, and Luke that actually flew over there, and it was very strange to compete in front of nobody, <laughs> like just just athletes. But I think the advantage is we had each other, so we had like you know we could kind of get in people's heads. We had the good energy against each other. We were traveling together, so yeah. But it was very very weird to win a title, and obviously good, good to celebrate with Luke, but not to celebrate with the family straight away. To celebrate over FaceTime, it was just it was. Everything felt weird, all the kind of interviews afterwards, all through FaceTime. It didn't feel real. So it was just a very strange situation to be in. So, Did it feel more real the following year yeah. when you won it again? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, when I when I had the family there and when I could do like travel to do interviews and stuff, that's when it really felt, this this is this is the world's strongest man here. So yeah, 2022 was, I think, a bit sweeter for me. So. It's so impressive. We, we were talking before the show about how People may not follow the sport, but they could probably understand that, you know, across the planet, there's the world's fastest man, you know, and everyone has a chance to find out if they're the fastest person on the planet, because we all run at some point in our lives. And then there's the world's strongest man. You know, everyone's had a chance to pick something up, particularly people with mass, you know, big people encouraged to pick up heavy things. So to be the world's strongest man or to be in contention in those top six, seven places in the world, you know that you are genuinely the strongest person on the planet how does that feel yeah i mean it feels of course it's good i think i liked it because everywhere i travel to i used to say to my wife and myself i'm the strongest guy here so it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't matter what anybody else thinks but now i think yeah it was cool i think um like i said i think just being you know the fastest man's cool but i think being the strongest man in the world has that prestigious title like every man wants to wants to be that kind of alpha that wants to you know lead the pack and you know, I got to do that for two years in a row and it was it was pretty sweet, it was pretty cool. And like I said, anywhere I went, I was the world's strongest man. Uh, you know, anything I did, I was the world's strongest man. So yeah, it was cool, very, very cool. I think, I think it's also like 
being Scottish as well, you know, the... The first, uh, but the, the the history of Scotland, you know, it's like the strongest man would be the king's bodyguard, or you had a, a higher place in the clan. You know, it was always the the strongest man could protect his family, <clears throat> you know, look after his family, be that pillar of of hope for the community, and I think that's what kind of resonates in us quite a lot. You know, that pride, that passion, and you know, we're sat here, yeah, Tom's literally the strongest man in the world in my opinion, the best strongman in the last however many years. And that's primal, you know, it's, it's almost going back to base, it's going back to what it means to be, I don't know, a, a man as such, you know, it's like you want to be strong, but not just physically, and we'll talk about it later, you know, mentally, emotionally, and physically, we all have to have those attributes to be a pure strongman, and again, we'll probably talk about it more, but what Tom's done through his journey to become that it's not just the physical it's the mental and the emotional as well I think that's really quite important to, to kind of speak about as well hugely important and I think that that before we get into energy which this is about that does reflect back on, on something you talk about frequently Tom which was the diagnosis of autism which was was a really important diagnosis because it allowed you to move from my perspective looking at, at some of your previous interviews and, and hearing your story move something that was extremely negative as you felt it, to harness it in a positive way. And and I think you've referred to it often as your superpower. Yeah, I mean, hey, you hit it nail on the head there. I think I was diagnosed at like 10 years old. So obviously the hardest thing for myself as well, I think my mum and dad is, you know, I'm one of five. So they had obviously a family to look after as well. And my wee brother sacrificed a lot. I mean, I love playing football. He hated every he hated everything to do with football. He'd come to football training with me. You know, Luke would sacrifice his life when he was away when he was back home to, you know, make sure I was all right. Same with my sisters. So everyone didn't really live a normal life because cause of me. And for myself, you know, being 10, 11 year old boy, going to school and, you know, acting kind of normal school, but then having these behaviours and, you know, thinking why, why is my brother coming to football with me and he doesn't like it? Why are they doing this kind of stuff? So, you know, getting bullied and all that kind of stuff to then, you know, I just felt 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, I was never going to have a life. And it was when I went to the gym at 16 years old. That's when Luke, so obviously Luke had had been to the gym. He was competing. It helped his mental state. And I was like to myself, and there was nothing going for me. I was just literally locked in my room like a jail cell. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. So that's when Luke said, you know, let's let's go to the gym and see, see what happens. And obviously... You know, some of autism going to the gym, having these big guys look at you at mirrors, it was probably my worst, kind of worst fear. But I had my hood up, which was my supportive blanket. I had Luke there to just do the talking and he would just tell me, lift this, do this and, you know, just follow his lead. I just felt followed his lead for months and months and months. The hardest thing with me was obviously Luke was still working offshore at the time there. So when he went away, I was scared in case I would quit because that's all I was I, I was good at was quitting stuff if things got hard I would quit um, and that's all I did in my life was just quit I would never be able to hold out something but with the gym I just had a voice in my head saying don't quit this this is something you're good at I obviously I was a you know a bigger bigger kid you know when I was growing up and everything I was bigger than my friends I was physically kind of a a big guy so I kind of I think look that's why Luke took me to the gym because he knew I could do something but for me it was the mental and the, like the mo- emotional and the mental kind of stuff that really helped me. I didn't care about being strong. I didn't care about any of that. It was the first few months of being in the gym. I was open. I was talking to people. Um, I started opening up more about autism. I started kind of just channeling it. I started realizing that this is giving me strength that I didn't feel, think I could do. It started just, yeah, I just opened up. I, I got girlfriends. I was 
meeting other people. I was My mum and dad were smiling, my brothers were smiling. So it was all just becoming a positive in my life instead of a negative like it used to be. And it wasn't until I was spoke to kind of a clinical psychologist, fast forward till I was about 19, to, uh, 20 years old, I think, um, before I won, not 20 years old, 20, 20, uh, before I won my first World Strollers, man, um, Luke had started talking to her and, you know, I still was struggling with kind of the interview side of the strong man and like the kind of crowds and all that kind of stuff. So he just said, Luke again said to me, try, try it. And for some of autism to try something new so close to a competition, it was a big risk and, I kind of just said to me, let's do it, you know, what's the worst that could happen? And the first, you know, month or so talking to her really, really affected me because we were going deep inside my brain where I've never been before. She was really targeting, like, concrete thinking and how to kind of use my autism to her advantage. But then four or five months talking to her down the line, I felt, like, invincible. I, I kind of started to realise that, like, this... I could be something special and strong and I could really be the next big thing and that was the moment I wrote on Facebook uh, Tom Stoughton World Strollers Man 2021 it's on my social media I wrote it before I went out to World Strollers Man because she had channeled my mind to be that championship mindset and to know that no, nothing will get in my way and then the, the cherry on the the cherry on the cake was obviously winning World Strollers Man in 2021 but then when I stood on that podium it was like I had achieved something you know some of autism that had you know no one said in my life when I was 10 11 years old that I would never be anything my teacher said put down on me everyone put down on me and said you're never going to be anything to then stand on the podium I was like I was like a super cat it was like a superman you watch on tv just standing above everybody and these guys that don't have any of this kind of you know Asperger's autism whatever you want to call it to be able to beat these guys and that's where I changed it to a superpower because like for me I just felt superhuman and I just then woke up every single day after that living with my autism and living out of this superpower and changing it to that it's not a negative it's a positive i can wake up every single day and be be this super superman then i can achieve anything in my life and that's what i've now done it you know i've it used to have a label it used to be a disability for a lot of kids a lot of adults and you know a lot of kids open up to me but for me it's nice seeing 30 40 50 year old men and women open up to me because of course, that's the hardest part. You know, when you're a kid, you're when you're a kid and you're diagnosed with autism, you can get that help. But having a forty-year-old or fifty-year-old coming up to me and say, "Look, I've lived my whole life, um, you know, not knowing what's wrong with me, and I've been diagnosed with autism now, and that's because of you." And it's a superpower. And they've gone and got you know a job. They've gone and you know played for their football team, whatever it is. And it's very, very powerful to you know. Yeah, it's nice winning a title, but it's nice to be able to use this autism now to a positive than it was a negative. I'll tell you what. Tom, you know, you've, you've, you've done some powerful stuff in the competition space, but, you know, your description of harnessing autism in a positive fashion, both of you using, you know, clinical psychology as a proactive tool, there'll be a huge ripple effect of, of those conversations that, you know, you can already see doing good, but that will continue to, to go a long way. So that is, that is stunning. I've got to talk about energy mm. because, you know, that's why we're here today. And, and, you know, is there any greater exhibition of energy than, than lifting five atlas stones in, in front of a world <laughs> audience but i've got to address you separately you are mm. the stoltman brothers but you're also two individuals so mm. you know we start the show traditionally by looking at, at how you feel your overall energy is with sort of 100 being unlimited energy across all domains you know physical emotional mental um, and zero you know sort of being clinically dead uh, <laughs> so taking those two those two benchmarks where, where are you luke at the moment um, so I think today probably I'm a little bit lower than I normally am because normally I start a day with a, a swim 
um, my cold water swim. So um, when I do that, my energy is high. My energy, I, I feel good, I think good, and I see good. Um, but because we're down in the big city, I haven't been able to get a, a swim in this morning. So it's probably a little bit lower. Um, normally, I'd say energy after a swim, like initially straight after, I'm like, everything's just like 100%. Everything just feels like so clear, so like just awake and energised um, and then it takes a little bit of a lull um, If I had to average it over the last six weeks because I, I want to talk about that behaviour yeah. in a minute because it's 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 a hot topic ironically and it's very relevant Yeah I'd probably say about 60 um, on average I, th- I think 60 uh, which you know a, a, the majority of energy is high but then sometimes I have a, a, a lull uh, in my day-to-day life um so that's, that's i need to take accountability and, and look after myself and um hopefully we'll find out how that goes um with the tests well we've got this piece of data we're going right. to come to in a minute which is relevant i think that again that's that's a great score um and again a lot of people will connect with that they'll also see you again winning europe's strongest man you know competing at the top table in in this global sport and mm. say i thought this was going to be a hundred but mm. i think very few people are and, and and exploring where that 40 lies will be a really interesting part of the mm-hmm. rest of the chat so brilliant tom we know you're competitive you don't Probably give us 61 <laughs> no no i think i was going to say about 55 60 as well i think you know the last six weeks seven weeks i think with winter i always kind of start my energy levels always go down i think um for myself you know i love being in the outdoors and i love you know just the the, the, the like kind of light nights and you know it stops me from you know, going in the cold water because I mean, four p.m., five p.m. You're in your house and it's pitch black at night. You know, it's you're waking up seven, eight o'clock. It's still dark. So, for me, I think it get my energy levels go so so low in the winter. Like, um, I just get lazier. I even don't want to go to the gym just because I don't want to waste the waste today. Um, my energy levels, my motivation will be right down to about to about fifty five, sixty. I think so. That's a great observation. And again, that seasonal piece has shown up throughout this series and, and, and it's extremely relevant. I'm sure what you define as lazier is other people's <laughs> utopia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, but it's relevant. You know, there's a big dip. So we haven't got you at, you know, 100s. That's, that's very real and, and, and I think really useful to a lot of people to hear that. Let's think about the things that, that you consistently do that bring positive energy into your life. So thinking of sort of three habits or behaviors that you know have a strong connection with improved energy. Luke, you've you fundamentally started with one, mm. which is this this morning dip. Tell us more about that. Yeah, it's, it's basically that. I get up in the morning. Um, I like to see a sunrise. I believe, you know, you go back to, again, back to the primal ages of, of humankind of, of, of us, you know, we used to worship the sun, we used to worship when the sun came up, oh my God, the sun's here, we're getting warmth, we're getting heat, we're getting light, the darkness isn't there. So for me, when I see that, I get that boost, but then put that on top of being in the sea, in the cold water with the waves, you know, that's energy right there. You're getting hit by the waves or something just a calm day, there's not as much energy in the sea, but when you, when you feel mother nature and that energy, it makes you feel like like a like a grain of sand, you know, you're, you're nothing in the big, in the big picture, and that's very humbling. But it also gives you, just gives you energy for me. It just really gives me energy. So that's how I start my day, and then that ties into you know the rest of the day. Then training for me, going to the gym, like another huge release of dopamine. You know that, that hit that boost, 
after that, after you have a good training session or just some form of physical activity, that gives me that energy. Um, and, you know, I've been looking into the last kind of year and a half, two years, um, doing these mantras and kind of chants. Um, we go on a Thursday night and after that, I normally we normally do two, two and a half hours. So seven till 10, normally I'm in bed by nine o'clock, but after we do this on a Thursday night, I'm just like frothing with energy. It's it's, it's insane. Um, you know, chanting, like, again, it goes back to like the start of time, you know, vibration, like sound vibration. If you get at that, you know, the beats per minute on the, or beats per second on the drum, when you hear that, that unlocks something and the vibrations from the drums, from the chanting, from the om, when you're chanting that with with people in an enclosed space, that gives you a lot of energy, or it does for me anyway in, in my journey. So that's kind of three things, yeah, that I get a lot, like noticeably a lot. You know, obviously from food in a more basic, I guess, you know, physiological way, you know, you get that energy from food. But for me, the most noticeable are, are those three type of things I do. I love those three. So we've we got the cold water immersion in nature. Mm. Uh, again, we'll, we'll look at some data and see whether we can see ripples of that. Mm. We've got training, which again, movement, I think, you know, you, you've, you've built your lives around it, but great to hear it's still energizing. I would have said, if someone listening, certainly to the, the, the frequency of your voice and knowing <laughs> the size of you <laughs> and the power of you might be surprised about the, the two hours of Thursday night chanting. Yeah. Me, not so much. I, I love it. Uh-huh. And, and, and I think anyone who listened to that glimpse of an om is probably going to try and tap you up for some kind of audio book yeah. where you just om yeah. repeatedly. But that, that again, is really reflecting some of the, the, the broader reach of well-being, but something that, that has come down through generations and this concept of frequencies and breath work and community. Uh, I think, again, there's a lot of people who will be delighted to hear you bring those three things up, Luke, because they're not what people I think might have expected. So let's again, potentially dive into some of those in, in more detail in a bit, but mm-hmm. brilliant three. Tom, uh, I sense we're not going to get the exact yeah, same I three. Mean, none of that kind of stuff. I mean, the training is <laughs> going to be the same, obviously, but I think for me, see my main one for myself is routine. I think uh, obviously with autism as well, when I'm in a routine and when I've got my days planned out to a T, my energy levels are up, up to their highest. Uh, I feel like kind of look what he does with the cold water. I my days are all good. My energy is good. Everything about my life is so good. So, yeah, I think routine for me one hundred percent is where my energy comes at its highest, and that then helps my life with the training with you know loved ones etc. So that's a nice simple one there. And obviously, of course, training, training. I mean. Um, you know, when you're going into the gym and you're lift, you're you're lifting those kind of weights. You're listening to the, the that kind of hype music that you know you like, and you're just there. You feel your energy levels are you're unmatched there as well. I think obviously we do that every single day. It's our bread and butter, but it also just gives us that really good good vibes. You know, we go out the gym smiling. We're we're full of energy. And then the third one, it's not not the chanting kind of stuff. I think, I just like chilling out with my my wife. I think that's very important. I think for myself. You know, myself and Luke are being brought up with, you know, family and uh, me and my, me and my wife have the kind of same interests. You know, I traveled, I do a lot of things with her and she keeps my energy levels high. So I think I just involve her as much in my life as I can and routine the gym and having her involved in my life. Those three things really, really do help me keep my energy levels to an absolute, you know, height and 
kind of just helps me yeah keep energetic every single day so it's a brilliant brilliant three and again we again from a physiology background we can we can reduce energy to cells and and you know and activity and sleep but you know we we gleam most of our energy from connection mm. and so you know for you to have that in your top three again a bit like yours luke is is what i love to hear and, and others might not expect but you know you're putting together a, a series of behaviors that's enabling you to compete at the top so it's got to be broader than maybe some people might imagine if we flip the coin and say look there's things that, that rob us of energy can we think of a couple each of, of things that you have either eliminated from your life or or consciously worked to reduce that rob you of energy luke uh, yeah, i mean in my younger days i guess you know going out kind of drinking um we we rarely drink now um not saying it's bad you know it's just a, a choice as, a, as an athlete i i understand that it doesn't benefit me when i when i drink when i when i go out and party um and you know if i'm not like holding myself accountable i think that's a big thing for me if i'm you know lacking in the gym lacking in my diet um you know because these are all my checklists that i need to write you're doing diet right training right cold water i touched on that already you know i've not done that this morning so i'm not as energized i'm not as clear as, as sometimes I, I should be um and that that's my thing it's it's taking accountability i think that's something i try and pride myself on but i am only human and, and sometimes for whatever reason whatever excuses i deem to be accept, acceptable on the day that i don't take accountability i then don't feel as energized or you know it's it's beautiful that we have each other to to kind of rely on almost so say if tom's not feeling so good or i'm not feeling so good Tom be like, right, I'm in the gym now. I'm like, right, okay, jeez, I better go then. I didn't want to go, but I'm in my bed, not doing anything. Um, I got to get up because Tom's in the gym. He he kind of holds me accountable and, and vice versa, you know, so I think that that is good. But um, on the days that I don't manage to train, you know, that that's when I, I feel really lackluster and kind of just, just disappointed in myself, I think, a lot of the time, yeah. When we train together, energy we get energy again community it's that energy force when we compete together we have that energy um so again something that takes away my energy is when tom's not there um i'm probably the same You're thing well. brilliant example and i think it, it ties into that concept that sometimes performance is a different objective to well-being you know you're you're creating the ability to to weather the storm which isn't ideal from a, a looking after you perspective but it replicates what's you what you're going to face in that competition environment so uh, a great example tom for you similar or, yeah i mean obviously the drink one's massive i think you know i had to stop doing that because obviously if you're partying every weekend and you know you're lacking sleep you're lacking recovery so it just it's a domino effect when you're doing the drinking stuff so but also one thing that i've kind of learned as well for myself is stressful negative people i i keep them out of my life because for myself you know i've I had a lot of, you know, I used to suffer a lot with stress all the time. I used to, my life used to be stressed with, you know, the autism and stuff and never knew how to control it. And I didn't realize I had like negative and stressful people in my life. So, you know, once I removed them in my whole life again, you know, the energy levels went up. My, my life was much easier and now I know how to do that. So, yeah, I think that's a massive one for myself is 
keeping them to a side and not not having anything to do with them, even for they could be you know friends or something. It's just those that negativity, negative people, the stressful people, and have your close circle, and that's all you need is a close circle. And that's what I've learned now is you know I've got two or three people I can trust. I've got two or three, three people that you know want to see the best me are there for me from when I was young to now. And I just, you know, the other people are they're just are kind of a bad wave. I just w- wave them away. So. That's a brilliant, brilliant example. Again, you know, removing those people who drain you of energy. If you don't answer my calls after this podcast, then I'll, I'll have a sense of, of where I sit <laughs> on the spectrum. I'll answer you every day. I think that those are brilliant and, and transferable cues. So I think they're, they're brilliant, both of you. To give people a shape of lifestyle, before we get into your data, it'd be great to just get a feel of, of what the demands of this life are. Um, Training is a good place to start. You know, without, again, we're speaking to, to lay people predominantly, you, you say you're training five days a week. Um, can you give us a sense, Luke, to start off with what, what that volume looks like? Yeah, so I've, I've actually just taken on a, a new form of training. So I've just got a new coach in the last couple of weeks. So the, the training aspect... Um, so I've looked at my body. My body's got a couple of niggles and stuff. So and physically, I'm not getting hugely stronger, but I'm looking at the technical side of things a little bit more. So I've included, or we've included that into the training aspect more. So, um, like we said, Monday to Friday. So Monday for me is a it's an overhead press day. Um, that'll take up maybe two and a half, three hours in the gym. So the whole day will be on that one movement. That path. one movement, yeah. And it's it's like assistance exercises. It's a bit of mobility. Um, my my shoulder is a little bit sticky, should we say. So I'm doing exercises to try and open things up to minimise that, that kind of pain in the shoulder. Um, it's an ongoing thing. It's going to take maybe a few months to, to really kind of fix. But again, you have to believe in the process, so. But um, I'll come in, do a warm up, do the assault bike, uh, ninety seconds on, uh, sixty seconds off. Do that three sets. Then I'll do some movement prep that'll get my body ready to to come in and lift press for that day, um, which then in turn in in turn will prevent any pain. Hopefully, eventually that'll happen. Um, still in a bit of pain at the moment, um, and you know that's so that, that usually takes about two and a half three hours. Um, so it's, got, it's two and a half, three hours on one movement, particular. Again, mobility and the activation, yeah. all those key pieces. Any idea how many sets you would put through your shoulders in, in a session? So I was training yesterday, so I did seven sets of five reps on the log press. I think it was um, f- five five sets of five with axle, then some dumbbell work. Um, some cables, some bands, some kettlebell stuff. Um, it's quite a lot. Quite a- There's a lot of people realising why they're not the world's strongest man at yeah. this exact moment in time, myself it, included. It's 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 a lot, you know. It's um, and you know it's for both Tom and I. We we both train a lot, you know. It's it's, it's intense. You don't just come in and do, you know, three sets of ten and then that's you done. You know, it's you're trying to find those small percentages, and that's what I'm doing at my stage, this stage in my career now. Is, you analyse yourself, right, I'm a little bit down on that. If I get one more rep there or five seconds held on for five seconds longer, then that would get me first place, you know. So it's it's really small margins. So if I can claw that back in terms of, like, the technical side of things um, or repair my, my body that's a little bit broken, then hopefully that will help. Um, 
so yeah, that, that, I mean that's that's a Monday. <laughs> um, so and then so uh, Tom and I we train to train pretty much somewhere. So we usually train each body part um, once a week. So it'll be Monday for me is pressing. Tuesday is like back day deadlifts. Wednesday is like a, a conditioning day for me. Thursday is a leg day, um, and then Friday is a little bit more event based. So, depending on what events we'd have coming up in a competition, train a bit more of them, and then I'm doing a little bit more shoulder focus as well, just again for that added recovery on a Friday. So, it's, I'm training about three hours a day at the moment, that's, that's it. and then on top of that, recovery and diet and everything else, which is incredible, which we'll, we'll absolutely come to. Yeah. So that and that's similar. So we've got this five day, and it's specific, it's specific, right, Tom? Right now, it's. It's not more, it, it is strongman related, but for the next two or three weeks, it'll be more just getting our body conditioned, getting the kind of reps and building some muscle, getting some hypertrophy stuff in, and then going back into the kind of three and five rep ranges. But I think off seasons where you can, like Luke said, go for your weaknesses. I think we, you know, it's easy to train your strengths and stuff. And a lot, it's the same in life. It's no one goes for the hard kind of, you know, path in life, but in in the gym, you you look back in the season and go, right, I failed here, I failed this. So in the off season, I want to target, you know, the hardest parts, which is the weaknesses. So, you know, it could be anything. And that's what we kind of do is I've got different weaknesses in Luke. So my coach will target specifically every single day the kind of weaknesses I have, vice versa to Luke as well. So Amazing and amazing. I think for most people listening, that that's probably blown their mind a little in terms of the volume, mm. you know, the three hours a day you know, five days a week, you know, and, and the, the sheer volume of load you put into a single muscle group over that period of time. But of course, we, we're ending up with a strength capacity that, that others can't can't conceive. So it's not a bad outcome. Now, we've got to fuel that somehow, right? So I, one of the things that I mentioned to you on the device is going to capture how many estimated calories you burn. So it knows your weight. You're happy that I share your weight? Mm -hmm. I think they're in the public yeah, domain. So Tom's at 185 kilograms, Luke, uh, a mere 165. Yeah, skinny. Skinny by comparison, yeah, yeah. still you know some some significant mass. Now we take that mass and then we put it through three hours of exercise, and mm. um, there's some calories burned. So the the machine estimated on on you know two of the days that, that you were doing this, you're burning over ten thousand calories. Jeez, yeah, that's what oh. I thought. <laughs> Jeez, oh. we took up our calories and take them. Well, you know, <laughs> so, get on top of the nutritionist. Jeez, yeah, so. so you know, yeah. there's there's a sense there of of just the sheer. Volume. Bear in mind, you know, the average male would, would probably, again, it's a bit conservative, burn two and a half thousand calories a day. So, you know, are we saying you're four times the average male? You know, maybe we are. But, you know, <laughs> we, we were talking before that, that the food bill must be intense. But getting that volume of food in, you know, clearly the volume you're eating is, is right because you're, you're, you're meeting your performance targets, you're mm. not losing weight. So, you know, you're working with a nutritionist who's got that well under control. Is there a challenge in, in the volume? You know, do you have to eat all the time? I think I think uh, I mean, Luke would agree with this. Is I think eating's the hardest part of it. I mean, in itself, that's a job because it's not like the gym where you can go for two or three hours. You're literally eating every two hours of the day. So, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, we get up at eight a.m. and have. It's not just like you know that we wheat a bit and porridge. You're eating ten eggs plus, and then the sides on top of that, and then at ten o'clock you're eating twelve, two, four, six, and then my last meal is about eight or nine o'clock. So you know, it's yeah, the the volume in itself. I mean. You know, when you're eating burgers now, it just tastes like you're eating lettuce every single day. You're just like, I don't want to put this in my mouth, but it's it's fuel. And that's why, how you kind of have to train your mind to think like, you know, we're not eating this because it's our choice. We're eating it because it helps us be 
the best, you know, the best in what we're doing. And I think if you have going have that mindset going into it, it really really helps you because you know when I first took my nutrition and was on, on and I was they told me to eat eight nine eggs, I was like, are you taking the mic? Because this is like this is bonkers. But then yeah, when you when you start saying you know it's for the kind of for for what you're doing, but yeah, I mean we eat a lot of oil. I mean like, what is it kilogram meat or something a kilo meat a day and. You know, it's it's harder because you're not. I think strong. I think people think strongmen just eat burgers and chips and all the processed stuff every single day, and that's easy to eat nine, ten thousand calories. But to eat eight to ten thousand calories of you know steaks, chicken, fish, rice, potatoes, <laughs> everybody knows it's it's hard to do. So, yeah, I think you know we get a cheat meal before the gym, and that's our kind of big calorie dense meal so we obviously we need more fuel when we're in the gym so you know, that's the reason we can train for two three hours because you know you can eat chicken and rice but it won't uh, digest as quick as eating like you know big burger and big chips and then a bit of and pudding and going to the gym you'll have more energy to go into the gym so that's kind of the cheap meal we have when we're in like off season not doing training prep but apart from that everything else is as clean as it can be so Really interesting. And, and you feel that volume has changed your enjoyment of food. Is that true for you as well, Luke? That, that a burger tastes like lettuce? I wouldn't say lettuce. <laughs> um, I've tasted some <laughs> tasty burgers. Um, it's, I think, yeah, in, in the build-up, when we're in the most extreme end of our diets, that's, that's really difficult because you're eating a lot of calorie dense meals so in the form of you know more fast foods big bowls of pasta pizza cheesecake and although that sounds really nice when you're doing it again it's for energy it's purely for energy that's all we're doing it for because you can't physically get if you're eating clean like boiled chicken boiled rice and some veg that that's not going to fuel your body like you said the data says you know up to ten thousand calories getting burnt so we need to we need to get those calories back in us as quick as we can so we can go again for the following day. So if we're eating just the boiled food, plain food, like the bodybuilders do or like, you know, other athletes do, we wouldn't be able to recover. So that's why we do that. But then after that, like, week-long diet of that, all you want to do is come home and have a salad. Like, that's all you just want. Like, I crave, like, like fruit or, like, watermelon or, you know, just something just tasty light and just refreshing um so usually after we compete at say world strongest man we come back have like a week of just yeah detox basically just of a light kind of diet because again it's it's really stressful in your body eating that amount of kind of calorie dense food so you just have a lot of break and then you go back in and you build up you build up you build up to that extreme end of the diet again and then it's, it's tapering you know it's up and down all the time it's you couldn't we couldn't sit here and talk to you if we were still on that diet you know so it's, it just wouldn't be possible so um we, we do try and eat as well as we can but sometimes it does get a bit tedious you know the enjoyment of food um when you're eating 350 grams of rice potatoes and veg um like three times a day it gets a little bit kind of yeah stale it's a lot yeah. i've got to ask a semi-crude question as a physiologist bowel motions yeah. where, where, how do we get it out is, this, is it one <laughs> I mean I don't one, have, is it I, one I, big one I don't have a problem with bowel movements <laughs> I think I'm probably you know it says five was it one five a day keeps the doctor away that's that's what I do on the toilet every I do about five or six a day I'll be honest eh? so Tom's got a habit of going to <laughs> whenever he goes to a new place I don't know, new place I mark my territory just like, like, like dogs do you know when they yeah. pee on 
<laughs> so I check, I check the toilets in the in, in the studio. I'm in the toilets as well for breaking toilet seats because I'm so high. Up, I just I slam down on them instead of you know obviously placing myself down. So. Now a lot of movement, a lot of eating, a lot of going on. We, we touched on recovery earlier. We, we've got things like cold water immersion, mm. which has has risen to the fore at, at the recovery discussion. Um, the biggest opportunity for recovery is sleep. Again, before we get into your data, which I'm keen to do. From a sleep perspective, are you using that as a primary performance tool? You know, how, how's your sleep, Tom? I mean, honestly, like, I think the last again, I think with winter coming in, my sleep's been not as good. Um, I used to as well have this thing called eight sleep, which you know I believed in. That really helped me get the kind of maximum out of my sleep. And you know, I've not used that the last five or six weeks. Winter's coming, and I just I sort of struggle. You know, the, when when the room's not the right temperature. Uh, I just I wake up once or twice a night as well, and yeah, I think just I think being the bigger guy as well, you know, obviously, it's gonna gonna be affected by it. But yeah, usually I think for me it's I know if I've not slept well, if I've if my training has gone is wrong, and that's how I kind of know, you know, first thing in the morning, if I'm if I'm tired till about twelve one o'clock, if I feel kind of that lethargic feeling until about twelve o'clock, then I know it's because of the sleep the, the day before. So I always kind of judge my training off the sleep, but. Yeah, again, in the winter, you know, when we're talking about the energy levels, that's, again, where it's, for me, it's the hardest because, you know, I'm going to sleep when it's obviously dark and I'm still waking up when it's dark as well. So sometimes my brain thinks it's still, you know, four or five in the morning and stuff. But, yeah, it's it's a hard one for myself. Sleep, you know, there's no point lying. I, I, I do struggle a lot with it. But, you know, it, like summertime, when I have the kind of right right kind of temperature in the room and stuff, I can sleep like a baby. But right now it's it's a struggle, so... You're both, you know, at, at your weight, more prone to facing snoring and, yeah. and challenges with with fully oxygenating your body overnight. Is that is that an issue for both of you? Neither of you? Um, I, I'm not too bad. I, I well, according to my wife, I don't snore often at all. Um, if I fall asleep on my back, I, I do. Um, how, how does she move you? And that's enough. <laughs> You just close my nose off. Oh, good. She <laughs> shuts you down. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's it. That's work smarter, not yeah. harder, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, then you look into like the sleep apnea stuff, and um, it's probably something. It, it might be relevant for us, but I, I genuinely feel that I, I don't have that um, issue. I I sleep okay, but I think from from my personal experience in my old job when I was working on oil rigs, it was very. I wasn't getting enough sleep. I knew I wasn't getting enough sleep. So, but you pick up those habits. So those habits just carry on through to to this life that we're living now. You know. So I try and go to bed early, but then I'm usually up maybe five in the morning, four or five in the morning, depending on what time I go to sleep. And I just get up then. That's my like body alarm clock kind of saying waking myself up from those oil rig days. And then I would, you know. Um, my fix would be then to have caffeine, you know, coffee, which again isn't a good way of of doing doing that. Um, so I used to maybe have a few cups of coffee offshore on the oil rigs that would keep me going. I'd have a coffee before a train, go and train. I'd go to sleep offshore about eleven o'clock and wake up about four o'clock in, in the morning again, and that would be the routine. Um, so I think my sleep as well as Tom's, you know, it's probably not the greatest. And and have either of you tried anything like a light box? which can reproduce some of the, the natural frequency of sunlight in the morning. Might oh, well, be an, an yeah. interesting area to, right. to touch on. Because okay. you've both raised that and, and 
living where you live, which oh. I think feels like a non-negotiable, <laughs> particularly as the, as the town has now put a sort of a, <laughs> a, it's not quite a statue, but it's a, it's a sign on entry into, in yes. the Gordon. You've got yeah. the, the home of the Stoltman brothers. Yes. So you can't ever move now. No, that's right. We're, 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 we're trapped. Not, you're trapped there. So we're going to look at sleep on the results, which are, which are one step away. Just one thing you both consciously do for recovery, mm. you know, in terms of you give out a huge amount of energy with mm. that training volume but by by carrying a significant mass and and that you know your baseline activity levels is is demanding have you got a, a definitive recovery strategy for you Luke, above and beyond cold water is there anything else that, that you do that, that restores energy um I, I, you know physio we see physio chiropractor acupuncture um diet as well diet's so so important you know if i'm not eating right then like I feel okay that day, but in the following day when I go into train, I'm not as recovered as I should be because I'm not getting enough protein or enough good carbs or enough good fats or whatever it is. Um, so I think the diet side of thing again, it, it usually all, always for me comes back to diet. If my if my diet is lacking, then I'm not going to be energized um, the following day and going into the gym because again, if we're burning ten thousand calories it's usually the following day then that you'll feel that effects, isn't it? So if I'm not replacing those calories like straight away or throughout that day, then I'm going to be really unrecovered the following day. Spot on. Tom, for you? Yeah, right? exactly. It's been diet for me. But when I can, I feel it when I'm on 100% of my diet, I feel fine when I miss a meal or two. It feels like you're in a deficit. You're trying to catch, catch up every single day after that. So, you know, that's, yeah, for me, big time is, is the diet. I, I lose so much energy. I lose as soon as I walk into the gym and as soon as I pick that warm up weight up, I know that this is going to be a bad session because like 60K should feel light, but 60K would feel like 200K when you've missed a meal or two. And that's the most important thing. I think people think, oh, you can miss a meal and you'll be fine. But like Luke said, you miss a meal, it doesn't affect you that session. That session, it affects you 24 hours later. And then it's like a catch up for the rest of the week. It feels like, I feel like I'm in a deficit that I'm having to catch up the whole week after that. So then it doesn't just affect the day after, it'll affect four, five, six days after that. So, Brilliant insights. It's data time. <laughs> I've, I've held uh -oh. off the data long enough. I, oh, I can no. feel... But if I hold it much longer, my, Call my an ambulance, boys. My uh, existence may be a threat. Yeah, uh, ambulance, but not for me. <laughs> so we're gonna have a look at the data. Uh -huh. um, the the again, the device you wore looked to capture heart rate variability, which which is going to tell us um, about how you're managing with stress. Mm. So we look at the body and say, look, it's got the ability to expend energy and recoup energy. And we look at the balance of something called your autonomic nervous system over the three days you wore the device. And in layman's terms, we look at how often your body was ready for some kind of threat and how often it was recouping energy and not worried about there being anything that might threaten it. So true recovery certainly means the absence of stimulus, the absence of, of being ready for threat. So we're going to look at that figure. We're going to look separately at sleep and say, you know, from the hours you're asleep, what was the quality of recovery? So sleep does many, many things, many of which we understand, many of which we still don't. But we know it's a big opportunity to restore energy and recoup energy. So we're going to see whether your sleep was hitting the mark from that fact. And then we get this look at your movement levels, which we've already seen the calorie output of that. But we also get a marker of cardiovascular fitness called VO2 max, which is, again, not an area of fitness that you specifically work on. Um, but it's an area of fitness that has relevance to energy and certainly has relevance to well-being and health 
above and beyond you know your your, your performance requirements. So those are the key parameters. The the system is going to score you out of a hundred against those three areas: stress, if you like, sleep, and fitness. Who's going to score better? I'd hope Tom does because I'm younger. He's younger and he's one world's strongest man twice. So let's see. Like if I don't score better than Eastern that theory, I'll give Luke my titles there. <laughs> that is a bold, incredible moment. So confident. So he is confident. I'm, so I'm, humble. I'm. I'm going to show you the results. I'm, with that level of confidence, I am delighted to say that you have nudged it. Oh, there we go. And actually, your your key point there: age makes a big difference. Your physiology through youth is is more flexible it's more pliable and and that 10 year gap between you means that for you to to have the same levels of recovery fitness mm. and sleep as as tom you will have to work a lot harder uh, and as we look at some of your habits and behaviors we already recognize that that you've got more things in play mm. because you've evolved to add them in whereas you tom have, have noted quite quite clearly you don't feel you need those things yet and that that may well be true so Scores on the doors. We've got Tom recording a magnificent 59, which fits so neatly with your self-predicted score. You put it 55 to 60. What was that for? That's his overall Overall. score. Overall score, 59. Mine's is negative 10. Which is cracking. Yours at 40. Okay. So again, when we look at these things, these are not bad scores, Mm. you know, and and fundamentally we're not scoring you in a competitive sense. I I jest with you both Mm. uh, at my own peril, but I jest because, you know, there's the natural competitive edge between you. But what we're really looking at is how this data relates to to what can we learn from it about how we optimize your lifestyle, what's working and what might be areas of of more considered attention. So Mm. don't worry too much about the scores. So let me show you those results Mm -hmm. up close. So just to prove that I'm not fibbing to you both, uh, there's Tom's score mm. with this 59 out of 100. And within that, we look at these three different scores that exist within there. So we look at the stress and recovery balance with, again, 100 being our, our ideal. Mm. And we've got a 53 there. We've got the restorative power of sleep at 69, which interestingly is your That's strongest cool. area. Jesus Christ. And then it's got your physical activity at 56. And there's a reason for that. It, it missed some of the activity that you did. So you actually, on the days where the device recorded clean data, um, you unsurprisingly scored 100 out of 100 on your physical activity. Shocked about the sleep for me. <laughs> well, the sleep is interesting. So let, let's come to those in more detail in a second. Let's just immediately put Luke out of his misery and say, you know, again, for you, it's captured that activity level. So you've got a 92 score there, mm. which is which is extremely strong because the volume and quality of movement is exceptional. Mm. Your sleep at 24 gives us insight that that's not as restorative as we'd like. Mm-hmm. And, and, and interestingly there, we've got a, a very different picture between some of the nights measured. So we've got one really good night and then one really bad night. So I want to I want to look at that in more okay. detail in a second. And then on this concept of stress and recovery, which draws us back to how often your body's ready for some kind of threat, the answer with you is is most of the time. <laughs> You're under threat. <laughs> That's bad. That's because they're working at home. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm cool, calm and breezy, as I said. <laughs> See if we could have a... It's working at home. We'd, we'd yeah. retest again and Tom's in another country. I'd be like... Oh. We we could we could run that experiment, but I think you know, <laughs> and again, everything everything in life is is a yin and a yang. So that's, that's five over a hundred, by the way. So you, have to, you have to do that uh, <laughs> more thing about three or four time thing. 
three or four times to keep that stress levels down. Cold water needs to be up to ten times uh, a week. I need to be in a cold tub all the time. It, that, we may want more cold. We may want more oms. That's the one. Well, again, you're two of the top performing athletes in your space in the world, and the outcome of that is is elite level performance. Mm. So let's also be clear that these results don't define us. What they do is is raise an interesting discussion around those concepts of recovery mm. and around that concept of sleep. So the common denominator with both of you, if I, if I look at where, where does the data match? So you didn't score brilliantly on your stress and recovery. When, when we look at these results, um, what we get, if I, draw, if I bring up a timeline, is when your body's ready for some kind of threat or, or, or physiologically you're primed to, to, you know, to be taking action or alert or physically switched on, we see red on the graph. Mm. When you're physically active, we see blue on the graph. So it distinguishes between whether your physiology is revved up because you're thinking about something mm. or your physiology is revved up because you're doing something. Oh. When your body is, is in the opposite state, what we call physiological recovery, we see green on the graph. And that's really, you know, if I charge my iPhone, you know, for, for a period of time, that's you charging your body. You know, other brands are available. Yeah. But you know, fundamentally, you know, the green is recharging, the red and the blue are expending. And, and the common trait between both of you is that from the minute you wake up pretty much to the minute you go to sleep, you're red. Mm. You know, and that's even more significant with you, actually, Luke, in terms of when you're on, you are on. <laughs> oh, geez. So the height of the, the red line also indicates how dominant that nervous system is. Mm. In, in technical terms, we're measuring here something called the sympathetic nervous system and, and it's running the inside of you. We've got this brilliant training block here clearly identified. Mm. But to a certain extent, again, and we may be capturing the back end of, of, your, of your cold water immersion in the morning there, mm. um, you are on it until you're off it. And actually on this day, which was the second day, that's the 24-hour cycle. So mm. that includes your sleep. Mm. So what I wouldn't have wanted to do is sneak up on you on that day. I actually do get fights. See, when my wife comes into the room, I hear a noise, I get startled very easily. Yeah, which, which you're ready. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm sending my best wishes to your wife. Yeah, yeah. She, she doesn't get that wrong. You know, and, and that's not an uncommon result in people who are not only, you know, under the pressures of, of the training volume, mm. but let's also be clear, you're building the Stoltman brand globally, you're running businesses, you've got a commercial gym, mm. you know, that, that's in operation. So, you know, the, the question here would be, at what point from, from sort of sunrise to sunset or from, from waking to sleeping, does your body believe there's nothing it needs to worry about? Mm. And, and the answer from the data is not often. Not often, yeah. Does that feel true? Pretty much, yeah. And, and when I see a result like that, you know, I, I go to immediately, this person would naturally be drawn to activities that down-regulate this response, mm. of which humming is an incredibly powerful one. Mm. So you, again, moving to to mantras and, and again, oh, use of okay. om. Cold water is an incredible one. So what, what I love, you know, having received this data before we've caught up, is you are bringing in the antidotes to this already mm. and and that doesn't mean they're not working what we say is well what would this look like without those <sighs> we're dead we, you wouldn't be dead <laughs> <laughs> but you know they're certainly a fundamental part of you being propped up do you have any sort of nighttime rituals 
Luke, that help you clear that mental inbox before you, you hit the hay? Not overly, no, but I think it's... Yeah. No, my, my mind's normally pretty active a lot of the time, you know, with, with work and... Um, it's a busy time at the moment, so it's probably more heightened at the moment as well. Um, plus, wife is pregnant, so that's probably maybe consuming things as well. You know, baby coming, need the work to be okay, need to compete, body's getting older, panic, panic, panic. You know, it's like maybe that's um, subconsciously, you know, that is probably kind of coming into my head, I think, a lot of the time. I think that's a, a brilliant analysis. You know, anything that makes us you know, worried about the future is counterintuitive to sleep. Mm. You know, it, it's, you know, and when the baby comes, you know, which again, huge congrats, you know, suddenly people again struggle to go into that sleep because they're listening for the baby. You know, anything that keeps you one eye on the world is more likely to lead to this type of pattern mm. because you're ready to jump out of bed and solve it. You yeah. know, if you sleep in a, in a strange environment, you won't sleep as well. Maybe someone's coming in through the door. Is the child breathing in the night you know what if i didn't send that email that needed to do yeah. so actions and behaviors that that sort of clear your mental inbox in that last hour might be worth considering um and equally we can drop temperature here do you ever do showers or baths in the evening as part of that wind down regime not overly i shower i shower yeah sure so i shower at night yeah yeah as in part of your wind down regime or post-exercise post-exercise usually yeah yeah, so if you have a, a lukewarm shower or bath, actually that can help that I drop shower that cool at like temperature. Eight, nine o'clock, eight o'clock at night. That can be great. Yeah. So drop the temperature, not have it scalding hot. Yeah, so you want it lukewarm and then to a certain extent let yourself air dry. You've got to clear that with your partner. Okay. around the house. I do it. I have fun with that. Yeah. I do it anyway. She's not you're not my partner, so <laughs> I'm not going to ask you. I know, but I mean, you're more than welcome to come down if she says no. <laughs> so wander, I don't, I don't wander around me. a bit naked. Yeah, let, okay. let, let yourself air dry. That, again, can help that, that temperature drop a little. Right, okay. But I think, you know, again, what we know is you wake up the next day and you deliver you know, you deliver performance again. The following night, still not great, but a pocket of, of better recovery. Mm. And and not at a point where I'd say, oh, hang on, you know, what's going on? I, I do think, you know, it it's logical to ensure that, that, that this, this, you mentioned the word sleep apnea earlier, mm. where people somehow sort of close off their airways mm. and, and have little pockets where they, 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 they gasp themselves awake. <laughs> it's not always as obvious as big gasps that alert partners, it's oh, okay. not always as obvious as um, as snoring so loud that the neighbours sort of come over. So, you know, if you were being clinically robust, you'd go, be nice to just run that past your, your local GP mm -hmm. and have them exclude that there's any challenge there. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, what we've got is if you're not doing things that naturally drop your core temperature, if you're not clearing your mental inbox, then we've got a great roadmap to some things that might mm -hmm. give you more energy restoration. I'll, I'll flip back over to you, Tom, because again, that, that sort of relevant piece, one of the things you mentioned, which was really interesting, is is this volume of eating frequency. When I think of, of the digestive system, you know, it, it's, it's called, it's associated, the rest and digest nervous system is very different to the one involved in fight or flight because they one nervous system slows down my heart rate, moves blood into my stomach. Mm -hmm. One nervous system moves blood into my muscles, increases my heart rate. So digestion and, and physical activity and stress have always been counterintuitive to each other because they're quite opposite physical states. What I don't see on either of your graphs is, is pockets of eating. As in, I don't see when you eat. As in, your body doesn't go into recovery 
for those for those mm. those eel, meals. So I don't know. Would it be fair to say that you eat quite quickly? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and and I, I mentioned that because you you've <coughs> accurately described eating as having to become fueling, mm. right? If, to sustain 185 kilograms of tissue in your case, Tom, um, requires this huge volume of calories. But we also have to remember eating is is more than fueling. It, it also is culturally and and sort of emotionally connected with unwinding. And one of the challenges is is how do we reconnect with the power of eating so that I see calm in your day. You know, there's, there's a reason the French take two hours for lunch. And I mean, mm. French people going, oh, I don't take two hours for lunch. But, you know, that, that sort of cultural sense of chewing, engaging, giving yourself a, a break from the noise, eating can be a really powerful modulator of that. So mm. um, one point for, for you, Tom, but it's the same on yours, Luke, is I can't see those meals and if you went to a, a very expensive European well-being retreat, they'll give you some stale bread and they'll make you chew it. Mm. And you'll probably go, I feel quite good. <laughs> you'll be overcharged for the bread. Right. But, you know, the power of chewing and only focusing on, on eating and connection may be another interesting area for both of you um, to bring more energy recovery yeah. in the day. So that on your pattern is, is, is certainly true on both. So we've got this, this sort of collective Stoltman thing that you're on all day mm. and then you're off what we see with you uh, you know tom is is a much better transition into sleep so your sleep score is pretty good you know this night in particular from when you again were deemed to go to bed you went straight into recovery and you stayed in recovery right until you know, morning so again that in many ways you can get away without having much recovery in the day because your sleep is sleep, yeah. is your is, is your backup option mm. um you've mentioned your sleep not so good in 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 winter. Do you wake up feeling refreshed? Uh, tired. You wake up tired. Uh, I think it's just because of the dark nights, right? Still dark mornings. But judging by that, it feels like I'm recovering. So that's there's, the main thing, isn't it? There's good recovery. One, one my my favourite graph on on these things is is where we look at your sort of overall energy levels, and we we think of you like a battery, and we say like over the course of the three days, if we take the idea that you started. At, you know, as having enough energy. When you're awake, you you decrease your energy levels, and then when you sleep, you recharge your energy levels. And what we're interested in is is over the end of the three day period, do you end up where you started or even higher? Right. And and your chart shows that your your recovery at the moment, Tom, is sufficient to keep you delivering the level of energy expenditure that you've got in place. It doesn't mean it's optimum, mm. but it's sufficient. Zach can see there. If I do the equivalent graph for you Luke you might be described as an overspender oh jeez I've got nothing I'm going on fumes and again we can run on fumes for a long time mm. right? so this isn't you know anything concerning because the human body is designed for periods where we have inadequate recovery mm. right? we're designed for tolerating the fatigue of childbearing and mm. child rearing mm. We're designed for famines and wars. So the body doesn't need this, 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 if you like, current account to be paid off every single day. <coughs> but mm. it's an observation. And here again, we find that sweet spot between performance and well-being mm. in the fact that, you know, you, you are enabling performance. But if I was responsible for your well-being, I'd want some of these actions and habits mm. to, to creep in. Um, and, and what I'm delighted about, Luke, is that you're already adding in mm. probably some of the best ones. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense as a as a I as think would, would it 
because it's been it's been busy it's been a really busy time from and I think from from my, I know how my head works so in a busy time at work like that's all I'm thought I'm like right I need to go in the office I need to do this do that and, and you're kind of constantly your mind's always switched on so I guess when it's that busy time that's when I'm not getting into that sleep I'm waking up thinking about things oh, I need to check that or check this and, and it just doesn't Thinking, you're, you're, you're thinking about it as number one, aren't you, right now? Because that's what I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite, because I'm like, I'm a straw man athlete, so I'll wake up, train, and then the work comes second or third to me. And I think that's why I can control it a bit more. But yeah, I think Luke, it's like he said, it's office work, or it's an email work, email like that. But with me, it's like that, that, wait, that waits. I know what I've got a concrete envision of straw man. I'm a straw man first and foremost, and the rest comes after that. So. I think it's a really clean example, Tom. You know, if you, the more different things we have to manage, mm. the more likely we are to, to overthink them or, or or let them on a low level just keep me in that stimulus mm -hmm, status. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when I look at the things you're doing, and, and again, you're doing the strongman piece as well as all the additional bits, mm. Luke, that's not a surprising result. And mm. there'll be lots of people listening to this who will feel they're juggling mm. two jobs, domestic challenges, you know, plus all the stresses of the world. So this is a common pattern in people. And um, the question is, is which mechanisms to, to sort of, to break it a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and for you, again, when we look at the, the, the patterns, there's not that clean sort of pre-sleep, I can't see in the, in the hour and a half before you go to bed, that recovery kick in. It's not like, oh, that's the moment Luke lets go of the day mm -hmm. and, and, is showing compassion to himself or or is is focused on on pleasure and energy restoration right, right. so that often gets called sleep hygiene this is the last 90 minutes of the day but it's also about you know really finding uh finding yourself in the moment mm -hmm. out of this we, we had another marker of cardiovascular fitness uh, which I've, I've talked to you both about a mm -hmm. bit off camera so when we look at fitness there's different types of fitness and of course the word fitness itself is, is about purpose fit for what you know, fit to be a strong man, mm. both got a hundred out of a hundred. When we look at fitness and well-being slightly different, that that your your strength is separate to your body's mobility, which is also separate to your body's ability to 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 uh, to promote um endurance or stamina. Mm. They're different, if you like, systems of biology. And you know, when I see both of you lift, lift Atlas stones, I know you've got hundred out of a hundred for strength. And I know you've got, you know, not far off in mobility, mm. that ability to, to, you know, squat, deadlift, all those functional movement patterns are beautiful. When I measure your cardiovascular fitness, I look at something called VO2 max, um, which is how much oxygen you can get to each kilogram of your body. And I like people to have a figure above 40, which is 40 milliliters of oxygen per kilogram per minute. Now the crucial word in there is per kilogram, right? And this is the reason when we look at endurance, really a defining feature of endurance is how much oxygen that person can get against their body weight. Right. So you've got to get Tom oxygen to 185 right. kilograms, you 165 Luke. Mm. So for, for you to have the same fitness as me, you'd need to have more than double the size of heart, lung, cardiovascular capacity, right. for example. So I want the figure above 40. We've got a, another absolute margin call here between the two of you. Uh, we've got you clocking in Tom at 38 and you just below Luke at 37, which I, I, I actually felt gutted <sighs> just because I wanted you to get that one. Let's go to VAR on that one, I think. <laughs> Let's go. I'm not too sure about that. Like. 
but actually, when, when when we discussed your aerobic capacity, you know, your stamina, you both felt pretty similar. Mm. You know, and again, an area that when we talk about your training, long endurance type work, cardiovascular work, isn't prevalent in mm. your training. Mm. You know, you do lots of what's conditioning, that high intensity mm-hmm. interval style work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think again, when we look at, at that fitness against your mass. I, I'm not aware of, of what figures are for strong men, but I, I, I can't imagine it would be much higher than that in, in, in any population. But that does raise the question post-retirement, you know, to, to, to have a high level of that fitness, 185, 165 kilograms is a tough ask. Mm. <laughs> tough ask. Like I say, the size of the engine is significant on both of you, but when you take that engine in, in you know, power per square inch, if you like, mm. or endurance per square inch, it, it, it drops down below optimum levels. Mm-hmm. Um, from a performance point of view, that that doesn't hinder you because you know, I don't need to iterate it again. You're two of the strongest men in the world. Mm. But from a well-being point of view, that moves onto the landscape, certainly in the post-retirement mm. era, right, okay. yeah, which will be relevant. The real learning from this for me is is you know you gentlemen train incredibly you know there's this huge volumes of physical activity and we could dive into that for days on on here you know you've got extraordinary output metrics of 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 the training you do and in the performances you can command but if i was drawing a a a summary i'd say a a a increased focus on light in the morning Mm. to to regulate your seasonal you know sleep challenges an increased focus in mindful eating and and slowing down to, to chew those meals despite the fact that they've gone very lettucey. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a commitment to the cold, a commitment to breath work and, mm. and humming and chanting, certainly for you, Luke, is, mm. is so valid. And a commitment to, to unwinding, mm. you know, that, that somehow that ability to let it go, which will only get worse as a, as a child enters the world, mm. um, is, is a worthwhile proactive strategy. Mm. Um, and, you know, I don't see any of those things, anything but adding to the performance sphere, but certainly when we move into you looking after you two as individuals, you know, for the long term, they're, they're, they're worth considering. Mm. Gentlemen, you know, you've been a, a dream to have on this this podcast. You know, I've, I followed you. Uh, I think the point when you won the first title, Tom, and, and you were screaming, you know, <laughs> my son and I were, were up on our feet. Oh, and, you know, and, and like many people across the world, you know, loving not only your accomplishment, but the relationship between the two of you and, and the fact that you were right there, you know, next to your brother, having competed in the same finals. You know, these are extraordinary things. And, you know, it, it's been a real privilege to to understand more about the demands of your lifestyle and understand the, the sacrifices you've had to get there. Tom, for you, you know, the the, the representation of autism and, and, you know, I have many friends and parents of children with autism who will be, you know, overwhelmed to hear about how you've turned it into a positive, how physical activity has, has harnessed it and routines support it. So thank you for that enormously. And Luke, again, you, you're really stretching the boundaries of what people might associate with a strong man, you know, from Invergord and, and, and things that people might think are floaty and lefty, but, you know, I'm, I'm promising you are robust. I'm promising you as well, Tom, they're robust and they're evidence-based. And, and I think they're, they're the beginning of, a, of an increasing relationship with recovery and, and self-compassion. So um, it, it's been a real pleasure to have you both on. It's been awesome, really good uh Gonna go back and start to be more relaxed. Be grateful for today. I'll teach you, don't you?
Stress-free <laughs> Tom Stoltman. <laughs> no, thanks for having us on. It's been really good. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks both. Cheers. Yeah. Great. It was such fun to spend time with the world's strongest brothers, and I've genuinely never felt smaller than sat amongst those two giants. But beyond their size, they had such an incredible insight into their lives and the challenges that they faced. I was so overwhelmed by the way Tom spoke about his autism and represented that as a superpower that through the power of rituals and routines enabled him to become the best in the world. And I do hope people who've been affected by neurodivergence or by autism can leverage the positive power in that message because it really affected me. It was humbling as well to sit with Luke, a giant of a man, talking about his reliance and use of psychological therapy. What a great ambassador he is for talking therapy to help regulate mental health, mood and emotions. I was also thrilled to hear Luke's personal journey into what we might call more advanced recovery techniques, ranging from his cold water dips in the Scottish Sea to chanting OM in a tent full of relative strangers. What I loved about Luke's journey towards those things is they're reflective of the fact he's noticing he needs more recovery. Not just because he's older than his brother Tom, but also he seems to be carrying the burden of building the global brand of Stoltmans while still training to be an elite sportsman. And that story of Luke trying to be a businessman, a partner, a soon-to-be father, and a competitive athlete represents what many people face, which is such a volume of things they have to juggle that they need to work harder and harder at being able to switch off. Luke was a great example of someone who's already understood his body is telling him recovery is a necessity, and he's now doubling down on those efforts to make sure he recovers as hard, if not harder, than he trains. This was a great privilege to dive into the psychology, the history, the relationship, and the sheer demand of competing in this extraordinary sport. If you enjoyed this episode, please do give it a share and look on the High Performance app for further episodes with other guests leading extraordinary lives. 